this week on the Happy Half Hour. Julius was surrounded by studs. Mike Rucker and Chris Jenkins and Brinson Buckner and Dan Morgan and Mark Fields and Mike Minner, and he was that guy. I mean, he was the one they all looked at and was like, yep, that dude's different. Touchdown, Carolina! It's time for the Happy Half Hour with your friends, Kristen Balboni, Augusta Stone, and Darren Gannett. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Happy Half Hour, the post-bi-week edition of the Happy Half Hour. Augusta Stone, how was Mama? Mama was great. Everyone was good. The one thing that I needed to follow up on was that we weren't able to go to the high school football game because they moved it to Thursday night instead of Friday night, and we already had plans. They claimed it was for weather. There was no weather the whole time I was home. So not sure what's up with that, but everything else was really good. How about you, Darren? Everything was good. Went to the uh, went to Raleigh to see the kids. Uh, d- dropped by the state fair. I am a huge fan of state fair food, as you can tell by my physique. I am committed to fitness, especially if it includes food items on a stick. <laughs> uh, I had many of those while I was gone. Some some less. The dill pickle donut was underwhelming. I, I wasn't prepared to enjoy it, and I didn't. Um, there were many. Fine items, though. The delight, the true delight of the state fair was the red velvet banana pudding. Oh, my goodness. That which, sounds divine. Yeah, it's, it was exactly as good as it sounds. I think more, more things should come with a uh, mix of red velvet cake in them, you know, like <laughs> red velvet pork chops, red velvet mashed oh, potatoes. Oh, jeepers, no. <laughs> I thought for a second you were going somewhere really normal with it, like, oh, yeah, like red velvet you said pudding, but like brownies yeah. or cookies, red velvet cookies, by the way, very good. Um, but you just went off the rails, yeah. man. Red velvet <laughs> fried chicken. Uh, well, maybe, okay. But there's the chicken and waffles thing that's really, really good when you put the syrup right? on it. I'm not actually going to swat that one down as much as mashed potatoes. Yeah. But, but maybe that, that could be good. Maybe that was a bridge too far. <laughs> I did go brisket and waffles on a stick. It was kind of, oh. you know, it was... It was interesting. It was interesting. I give it a solid B. There you go. There you go. I love maple syrup on like savory things like that. I think it's a cool like way to balance each other out. Yeah. I had vegan chicken and waffles up in Boston, Massachusetts once, or it was actually Cambridge, which is right outside of Boston where Harvard is. It was awesome. It was so good. So 10 out of 10 would recommend. And I'm sure it's even better not vegan. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm trying to imagine, you know, because there is an egg component in most of your baked goods or waffle-type products. So you went vegan waffle, which is one thing, but vegan chicken and yeah. is, uh, yeah. <laughs> Applesauce is a great egg substitute just in general if you're, like, looking. I know when eggs were super expensive back then, I was, like, loving, like, I'd see random, like, Facebook posts about, like, things to do other than eggs. And I'm, like, pretty familiar with that, like, flax seeds mixed with oil or applesauce. Applesauce is so good in, like, different... Like, you could literally use cake mix, put applesauce in it instead of eggs. It does the same thing, and you can't tell. And yeah. it honestly makes it feel, like, more, like, gooey and when, good. When my kids were younger, I would make banana bread when the bananas were starting to go bad. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, when you got kids around the house, there's always a cup of applesauce somewhere <laughs> that got stuck in a lunchbox and carried home because nobody wants to eat the cup of applesauce. But uh, so, yes, I have used that baking hack before. It so. works. It All right. Works. All right. I guess we I guess we're obligated on this football podcast to eventually at some point talk about football 
And we'll get to that, but not yet. Because first and foremost this week, coming out of the bye, Sunday, the Houston Texans are in town. But more importantly, I don't know more importantly, but very, very important, the Carolina Panthers are adding to the Hall of Honor. Musin Muhammad, Julius Peppers will join that esteemed list of greats along the uh, opposite wall of Bank of America Stadium here. And it's it's going to be, regardless of what's going on with the season, regardless of what's going on with the game, I just think it's such a neat opportunity for the franchise to see these two guys come home. And the content has been awesome this week. If y'all haven't checked it out yet, the videos that our video team has made for Julius and Moose are both so incredibly good, like totally must-watch content. So fun, so cool how many people they got to to sit for those interviews, and I really enjoyed those videos. They were just so well done, um, so definitely check that out. But, yeah, that's an exciting time. I mean, I think it's really cool whenever the franchise – I love, like, you talk about, you know, the, the nostalgia of the franchise because it is, you know, young in general, um, but you have this kind of – Really cool legends, living legends right. aspect of this whole thing, and you get to see it kind of come to fruition on Sunday. I think it's really exciting, and I mean, again, the content's been awesome. Darren's written amazing stuff. The graphics have been great. The wallpapers that they posted on social media a couple of days ago, just everything has been so cool, and I, I think it's a good opportunity to flex the department for a minute. It's, it's awesome stuff. <laughs> it, those two guys, too, I mean, occupy such a unique place. I mean, you you mentioned a fairly young uh, organization and also happy birthday Carolina Panthers 30 years ago today the NFL granted a franchise to the Carolinas and here we are it They're, is today it, happy birthday Carolina Panthers you are now 30 you're old enough to run for Senate maybe yes. they should <laughs> but it's uh but no in, in that time I I think sometimes in in this conversations come up you know with Hall of Fame selection committee meetings I've actually had other voters say, you know, for a team that hasn't won a Super Bowl, for a team that's so young, you're up here talking a lot. <laughs> and and it's going to become more in the coming years with Julius being eligible next year, with Luke Keekley coming a year after that, Steve Smith's um, uh, eligible and has been a semifinalist the last couple of years. So it's a possibility we'll talk about him. But it, you're reminded at times like this – how rich the history of this franchise is when you can talk about a Musin Muhammad who at large stretches of his career wasn't even the best receiver on his own team. And yet when you look at his numbers, I mean, he is, I think, 28th in receptions, 34th in receiving yards all time in NFL history. He's in the top 35 in both categories and to think about 100 years of football across 30-plus teams at different points in football's history, you know, what Moose was able to do was amazing. And just walking around talking to players now, I mean, I've t- there's a piece we'll have coming up tomorrow on Panthers.com about current players talking about what they actually recall of these guys. Mm-hmm. And Jonathan Mingo flat out admits, he was like, I didn't really know that much about Moose until I met him in Spartanburg and started cooking burgers with him. So, <laughs> you know, that's the age difference you realize. But in talking to Thielen and DJ Chark and guys with a few more years on them, they, they remember Moose for his physicality. They remember the way he would block people. They remembered him going and getting plays. I mean, a lot of receivers, when you think about 
big yardage guys. You think about guys like Steve, guys who are fast, guys who are getting downfield. Moose did the dirty work for 14 years and also caught a bunch of passes, made a bunch of plays, and, and was able to create really a unique place in Panthers history. Exactly, and I like that you mentioned that because the thing that I've kind of appreciated and respected so much in you know, just thinking about their careers and digesting all the content is the longevity of both of their careers. Again, you wrote a great story this morning on Panthers.com, posted about an hour ago, about kind of them getting to come back home again. And to both of them spend over a decade in the league, it's really cool that they were able to loop right back around where they started. And I love the Julius Peppers side of it, you know, about the, I've been in North Carolina, I needed to get away, but then he wanted to come back. You know, it's just, yeah. it's so special and it's so cool that, you look down and you read the amount of years that they've been here, and it's it's so it's so cool to think about how their careers were really long, and they ended up back, you know, here in the comfortable place in the place where they were meant to be. It's it, just really really cool, and it does blow my mind because it practically never happens. I yeah. mean, I you remember Jared Allen for all his years in Minnesota or Kansas City, and Jared Allen finished here in 2015. You know, I remember Reggie White's final year in the NFL was as a Carolina Panther, and it was just weird the whole time. You, it, it, when you saw him in the locker room, it's like this is not where you're supposed to be. You're you're supposed to be wearing some shade of green. You're not supposed to be in black and blue and silver. It was just it was so unusual at the time. It remains unusual in my mind. But for those two guys to be able to come home and finish this thing up is. You know, it's a special layer of the story. Julius is, and we're going, I predict we're going to have a lot more Julius content in the next year because with him being eligible for the Hall of Fame for the first time this year, I don't think it's going to be a very long wait before I end up getting shipped back to Ohio (laughs) to do more Hall of Fame content again because Julius is just, he's special. And again, talking to guys in that locker room, even the young kids who weren't able to fully appreciate him in like a film-watching capacity, you know, not watching him as a peer the way football players are used to watching other players. But just when you hear them talk about it, it underscores the fact that Julius is just so different. I mean, he is just otherworldly. I was watching NBA games last night, and you see Victor Wimbanyama, and a guy that size isn't supposed to do those things. And that's what Julius did for 17 years. I mean, I I just think about the fact that Julius was surrounded by studs at every level on almost every team he played on. Early on, his first couple years with the Panthers, he's out there on a defense that also includes Mike Rucker and Chris Jenkins and Brinson Buckner and Dan Morgan and Mark Fields and Mike Minner, and I could go on and on and on. And he was that guy. I mean, he was the one they all looked at and was like, yep, that dude's different. And he comes back in 2017, and you see the pictures of him standing at midfield next to Thomas Davis, next to Cam Newton, next to Greg Olson. And and when you put it in that context, you realize that this is one of the most incredible football players any of us have ever seen for a course of a 17-year career, it just never, ever happens. And for it to be Julius and for him to so casually discuss, I mean, I could have played a couple more years if I wanted to. I just, <laughs> you know, you think it's like you understand you're talking about something that's never happened and you just casually, oh, yeah, I could have played another couple. No, no question about that. 
it just blows my mind. I know. It's going to be so cool to see them all here. I think it's going to be such a such a gift for everybody who gets to cover the game. Everyone who gets to come, I love. Um, it's funny. I have noticed in the NFL schedule, and again, you know, I'm, I'm still pretty no- novice. This is my second year, but... When, when the Panthers have like a home game, like a crucial catch game, then we'll go on the road and we'll be at their crucial catch game. We have a Hall of Honor game. When we were in Miami, they were inducting someone. So it's like I get, I love that I saw it in Miami and now we get to see the Panthers version of it with the speeches and everything, you know, everyone getting honored. And I think it'll be really cool. I'm really excited. Um, I think there's a banquet as well that you'll be covering this week, Darren. That'll yep. be really cool. Saturday night, there's a dinner where all the – and the, the neat thing about it is, and I thought it was cool talking to J.J. Jansen about this, because J.J. has lived half of this franchise's existence as the long snapper, played more games than anybody here. J.J. was talking about that sense of place that this creates. He said, when you see Julius and Mooch, you're reminded of the 0-2, teams. You're reminded of 13-14, 15. You're reminded of seeing Julius come back here in 17 and it's just you get a sense for what it means to all these people, not just the guys in the locker room, but the fans in the stands. And that's why, you know, Sunday's going to be a neat opportunity to share that. There are going to be a lot of team legends coming back uh, for the weekend. You know, just looking at the guest list for the different events, you realize it's going to be a who's who. And, you know, you just casually get guys like Jake and Jordan talking <laughs> about these guys. And, and to hear the respect they have for both these cats, is it, it just brings home the point that this is going to be a special weekend for a lot of people. Exactly. And on top of that, we're after the bye. Panthers are playing the Texans. I will. I think we can kind of redirect now to – to the what's going on yeah. on the field. We've covered Mama, <laughs> Red Velvet, Banana Pudding, and the Hall of Honor. Honor. We now must talk about the current Carolina Panthers. But you've written about it, and I think it's true, and we've been saying it for a while. This stretch of the schedule is more friendly. Um, it is more teams that are kind of in the vein, like you said, of the Panthers. Kind of the you've you've mentioned the. Um, Jury of their peers, I think, is what you've yep. said and what you wrote this week in the mailbag. And and it's true. I mean, you look at the, the next few games, and I think this is kind of the start of that stretch where, okay, these are teams that are – Adam Thiel was actually talking about it yesterday in the locker room – in similar standings with a new head coach, with their rookie quarterback, C.J. Stroud, who is very well-storied, very good friends with Bryce Young since middle school, first and second overall pick. We've heard it all, but we'll be hearing even more of it, I'm sure. But, um, you know, kind of in similar similar boats, obviously not the same, but similar. They're coming here, and then, you know, it kicks off kind of the, the Colts-Bears part of things. And, and I think it's a... It's an interesting starting point to come off the bye, the newness of Thomas Brown calling plays, which we talked about last week, and we'll hear from him again today and kind of hear how that's been going in practice and in preparation. But, I mean, you know, that's that's something to, to look forward to. It'll be different, and it'll be a different opponent. It won't be the Detroit Lions. It won't be the Miami Dolphins, and I think that's something that Panthers fans, despite the 0-6 start, which you can't ignore, but I think it's something that you can look forward to and be like, okay, the next few games are not against the NFL's top five offenses. That's right. not bad, right? Yeah, not not facing the Detroit Lions and the Miami Dolphins back-to-back, I think is a good thing, not a bad thing for these guys. And it is. I am constantly reminded, one of the most amazing things to me about football players in general, but, you know, just kind of this, when you get in this situation, the thing they're able to do is compartmentalize mm-hmm. and kind of put that 0-6 in its box over there. Can't do anything about it. Obviously hate it. Nightmare start. Couldn't have gone any worse. But you take a week off, 
and it gets a little easier to kind of put it in its little box and just stick it in the attic and forget about it, if you will. Now, it obviously, we're, I am not, it is my vow to not talk about playoffs or any of that kind of no. stuff. That, it, it's not pertinent. Win a game, win two games, do something for a little bit before I'm even going to entertain any of that talk. But I, I think what they have the opportunity to do is kind of hit reset in a lot of ways. As you mentioned, there's a new play caller now. Thomas Brown's in charge of this offense now and, and gives Frank Reich a chance to step back and sort of be the CEO, be over the top of the entire operation. And it can't hurt. It's not going to get worse than an 0-6 start. So I, I think from that standpoint, it helps. The schedule helps. And I think these guys, there are reasons to believe, based on what we've seen of Bryce Young it, at stages of this season, that he is getting better. So if you can put some of that stuff together, here's your opportunity to change some of the results. And I, I think those guys definitely need that. Exactly. And um, I know we talked about it a little bit between you and me, but I was looking at the injury report because I'm getting ready to write five things to know where I'm getting ready to prep for it. And um, usually I like to go over there because I like to say, okay, well, especially with this season, who's available? What's going on? And it is shorter, but there are some guys that have hit IR. There are right. some guys still coming off of injury. But at the same time, there are some guys who are working back. Austin Corbett, principal among them. Limited participant yesterday. He talked in the locker room a little bit yesterday, and I know you're really in tune with the O-line and Corbett after that awesome story you got to do, kind of chronicling all of his steps in the process and getting activated and coming back. Um, wanted to share, or wanted you to share kind of what your thoughts were on whether or not, you know, when you think he'll come back, when you think he'll be ready, and the kind of difference that he'll be able to make along the offensive line because Austin Corbett is a huge piece of that that they've been missing, and we've kind of seen that and felt that through the first six weeks. Right. I, I think last year as it was happening, you know, we remarked on it a good bit because it was so unusual, but to go through a season with only two versions of an offensive line and mm-hmm. for the change to have been a conscious change to go from Bradley Bozeman or from Pat Elfline to Bradley Bozeman, and then for that five to play out the rest of the year. That's unheard of in the NFL, and obviously that luck did not continue uh, going into this year. They've already played three different left guards, three different right guards. Uh, There's another change, and I'm assuming at this point that Austin's going to be out there on Sunday. There's been no official word, but everything is pointing toward this being the week that you get Austin Corbett back on the field. And I think that's going to have the opportunity to stabilize because with all that, if there's been a common thread to the offensive line stuff through those first six games, it's been other teams have been able to get way too much pressure up the middle. And and they've taken advantage of the fact that you're constantly shuffling guards and putting, you know, the backups to the backups in those spots. I mean, it's, it's not just that you're playing backups. It's when Chandler Zavala goes down, and all of a sudden you're looking at Cade Mays and Calvin Throckmorton, and Calvin Throckmorton wasn't even here in training camp. So, And all of a sudden he's looking like a stable starting option. So it, it shows how much flux they've been in, and I think getting Austin back stabilizes some of that. But it also creates, when you think back to last year, when you go Bozeman, Corbett, Moten. Now you've got a side of the line that you know in a, in a short yardage situation, in a crucial situation late game, you know you can trust those three cats. And you know that they're going to know where the other one's going to be. You know which direction they're moving. You know what they favor, all that kind of stuff. I, I just think creating that kind of stability can only be a good thing for 
Bryce Young, for Chuba Hubbard, for Miles Sanders, who's back on the practice field this week after missing a game and after a rough start of his own. It can only be good for all those guys. So I want to see if, you know, I think Austin is going to lend a little stability and credibility to that offensive mm-hmm. line. It's it's both balance and ballast. You know, they're better and bigger and stronger. So it can only be a good thing. We'll see how that manifests itself, especially in the run game. Exactly. Well, I like that you mentioned the run game because that was another thing I was thinking about, which was, and I don't think, I I truly don't think we're going to see a big difference with Thomas Brown calling plays. I don't think it's going to be one of those things where like, oh my goodness, they're running so much more or they're passing so much more or I don't think it's going to be anything quite like that. I think it's more of an operational thing that we probably don't see, but like, you know, you you still want to see the results from it. I think it'll make... Frank Reich's game day is easier, and I think, but um, but there's still some conventional wisdom to think that there might be a little bit more focus on the run just because of Thomas Brown's, you know, influence as a as a uh, running backs coach, and um, you know, kind of what he did throughout throughout his past before he got here. I think um, they have shown that Chuba Hubbard can be a good option back there. Getting Miles Sanders back, I think, will add more variety. I'm excited to hear today if Thomas Brown mentions anything about. You know, working with the running backs and thinking to to highlight them a little bit more in the run game, and especially having Austin Corbett back up the middle, I think it's just even smarter to to think about it that way. So that's something that I have been intrigued by. Um, and then, of course, like I mentioned, but having Miles Sanders back on the practice field just gives you gives you more options, gives you more people back there. But um, also, you know, a big week for Bryce Young. I think uh, he he's. <laughs> I've been asked point blank about like him and CJ, and then they've been asking Frank this week about you know how do you feel? And of course, Bryce is the guy, and I think you know it, it would be he to have a good game this week and kind of build on you know he's been consistently getting better week by week, and now he has the the bye week to kind of refresh. But I think he looked good in Miami, especially for that one quarter that we talked about that was just really good and everything kind of hitting on all cylinders. I think. I think it'll help him, too, to have a guy like Austin Corbett back there and kind of continue to to work with chemistry with the receivers and Adam Thielen and everybody. I think it's a good thing. So I think it's a I think it's a big week for Bryce Young to kind of, you know, be in front of yesterday in the press conference. It was so fun. He was so excited, you know, talking about all the guys he knew on the other side. I mean, Will Anderson was his teammate and they were really close. CJ Stroud is his childhood friend. He played basketball with all in Southern California. Like he was just so excited. So I think this will be an exciting week for him to have some maybe not extra juice, but just kind of, you know, know after the game that, oh, man, I know so many people over on that sideline. And to put on a good show for them, I think would be really cool. Yeah, no doubt. I think it's interesting that there are people who want to relitigate the 2023 NFL draft after six games. Uh, I I wonder what these people's 401ks look like. (laughs) Uh, Because (laughs) if you're really trying to think it should have gone a different way after six weeks, I mean, I I worry, honestly. uh, obviously, C.J. Stroud's off to a good start. Uh, D'Amico Ryan's doing a great job as coach in Houston. Uh, he's got that thing that you want your coach to have, and they are off to a good start. But these guys, you know, again, I, I kind of laughed because seeing the process evolve from January when Frank Reich rolled in through February, March, you make the trade for the number one pick, and then when they really zoomed in on those final four guys, when you watch that thing from up close – of course they haven't changed their mind. Of course they're convinced. I mean, all the stuff that went into this, they still believe. And there's nothing we've seen out of Bryce that necessarily thinks, this is not, oh my God, he's shorter than he, we thought. He's getting every pass batted down to the line of scrimmage. It's not like that. He's not, 
you know, this thing hasn't gone perfectly, obviously, they're 0-6, but there's individual parts of each game where it's like, yep, that's what Frank was talking about. Yep, that's what they're looking for. And as they go through this thing, you know, if it continues to build, you know, we'll see how it goes. But that is, that's the key to this thing for the rest of this season. Again, 0-6 is sort of in its own box over there. Now it's what can you do? What can you build? How can you progress in this thing? And this week's going to be the the first step in that. Exactly. You know, I, I'm glad that you said that because I agree. I've kind of winced multiple times. Like, it has been six weeks, and Bryce Young is not the main issue on offense. If you watch the games and you sit back and you're like, oh, it's Bryce. No, no, it's not. It's really not. And I think he has shown steady improvement. And I'm excited to see what the bye week does for him. I'm excited to see him against other teams and, you know, every week. And I think, like you said, you know, we can take the 0-6 starts so and we're not going to say the, the P word that ends with an FS or anything like that because that's not what the season's about. The season is about what can we see from Bryce Young? How can we develop Bryce Young? How can we get Bryce Young familiar in this system? And also changing some things up. I mean, Thomas Brown's the play caller, and that won't be extremely different, but it'll be a little different. And it's something that they get to build on now through the last uh, stretch of the season. I wouldn't. I was about to say half, but we're not even halfway through. So. Yeah, I keep, I keep saying half, and it's third. <laughs> I know, so. I know, I know. I had to ca- stop myself and say a stretch because it's not half. We're not halfway done, but but there's a decent stretch left, and I think that's kind of where we're focused on. And I think the wins, you know, they could come the more they develop and the more they get healthy again, especially. On defense, um, Xavier Woods came back to practice yesterday, which is a which is a huge plus. But you know, there's still tons of holes back there, and I mean, you know, working with a good defense would help. And there's just been a lot of inopportune things happen this year with injuries that haven't helped Bryce at all. But I think I think if you refocus the season to be like, okay, let's see what we have from him, let's see what we can do from him. I think that's a that's a way to look at the games and watch the games and maybe, you know, compartmentalize that 0-6 like you mentioned and just kind of see this in its own, like, little pocket. And I think uh, I think the results are going to be better than when things were a little bit shaky, when people were falling out left and right, when the offensive line was getting poached, like you said, just off and off and off. And <laughs> someone's hurt now, someone's hurt now, and you're like, oh, my goodness. Speaking of which, Chandler Zavala also came back to practice yesterday, which was awesome to see. Yeah. So, I mean, things are things are – Looking up after the bias, they should, especially injury-wise. I mean, guys have extra time, and there's still plenty of pieces and guys that are not fully there yet. But I think the healthier they get, the more familiar they get, the the more kind of Frank's able to take that CEO approach, as we've talked about, and you know, letting Thomas Brown kind of run the thing as a play caller and and have more you know kind of focus in other areas. I think I think it's a it'll I think it'll show if not this week at some point down the stretch, that, okay, they're kind of figuring it out. Because, I mean, they all came here, and we've talked about it, didn't know each other, didn't know, you know, kind of they knew that they had a lot of respect and that they were all, like, really experienced coaches, but they didn't know immediately how this whole thing was going to mesh. And I like the signs of progress that we've seen. The We're not going to stay doing it one way because it's not working. So we're going to try something else. And it's not major sweeping changes, but it's small things. And I think that's... That's something also you can turn to. It's not like they're doing nothing. They're making changes. So yep. I like it. I, I And I'm optimistic about this next stretch because, like you mentioned, I mean, it, it does feel like these next few games are not the kind of teams where, you know, these teams are going to necessarily make a big playoff run or they have these insane offenses that move super fast and there's nothing you can do about it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's not as inevitable when you look at the Texans, when you look at the Colts, when you look at the Bears. So I think... I think that's something that, and I'm not saying they're guaranteed wins, but I think they're guaranteed, you know, decent shots, which I don't know we would have said about 
the teams that are the previous two weeks is what the whole world exactly exactly what i mean exactly we shall see it's all hypothetical up until sunday join us regardless of the game all of honor sunday (laughs) musin muhammad julius peppers will be here to be celebrated we can talk more about that then we will continue to all this week and more than anything else i think i've written down on my little notepad here in front of me the thing i'm going to take away from this podcast million dollar idea Red Velvet Chicken and Waffles. We'll explore that and report back with results next week on the Happy Half Hour.